Hello and welcome to Splatter Chatter, where October never dies. I am one of your hosts, Miss Melmon. And I'm the other host, Mr. Craigers. He is, and I apologize for any janky audio on my end. We're working on it. Um, not all of us can have fancy mics like, like Mr. Craigers. Um, but tonight, in our 101st episode, we are officially Centurions. Is that an actual thing, or is that am I thinking of like the Roman soldier? You're thinking of the Roman guard. We're also it's, Centurion. We're also the Centenarian. Centenarian. You reach hundred. We're Centenarians, also Centurions on every other weekend in the yeah. fall. Surprise. Part time job. Um, but tonight it is Campfire Tales Part Three. Uh, which is a little sub. I think we usually do it late summer, sometimes early fall. Yeah, when I went to check, it looked like um, before we had done an episode in June, and I think the second Campfire Tales we did in, like, November, I think. Okay, so, so we do them whenever, I guess, but tonight is... <laughs> but I think something like that whole, like, either yeah. summery camping or, like, fall, sort of like yeah. you would go bonfire. bonfire. Time. Yeah, yeah. We used to do bonfires in the summer and then, like, in the fall there was one place we used to go to i don't know if you had that like the one group of people who was like we're having a bonfire tonight kind of like i feel like bonfires like popped up randomly like when no one ever knew they were happening happening they just drove by and saw fire they were just like sort of there and then it was like oh okay um fire like pits more contained smaller fires though did a lot of that we um it was the Ritzens who always shout out to the Ritzens. Shout out to the Ritzens. They would be the ones who would have um like fires and the text chain would go around to the select individuals who were asked to come to the worthy. Yeah. Um, so that was always fun. But tonight <laughs> we're sharing some more spooky campfire tales because summer is drawing to a close it seems i don't know about dc but already the mornings here have already started to get a little bit chillier um yeah like early morning when you first wake up mm -hmm. um here otherwise that drastic change hasn't hit yet but like mm -hmm. it's definitely like our days are like low to mid 80s now yeah where in like the height of summer in dc it's like the 99. mid 90s i was there at the mid the the height of summer it was yes. like 107 i think heat index but yes it started like i'll wake up in the morning and it'll be like in the 60s outside now whereas yeah a couple weeks ago it was like you know mid to high 70s in the morning when you right when you woke up. So we're and you can already see some of the trees that start to like change just because of the the waning amount of sun uh, that happened so yeah we're definitely on our way on our way summer's winding down for sure mm -hmm. um, but summer's not quite gone yet and i've still got some summer plans i assume you still have some some summer plans so we're gonna do. do some spooky tales yeah but uh but first let's let's check in with uh what we've been up to? What have what have what have you been doing? Where have you? Where, how how you living? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, since we last recorded, uh, when we were together for Jaws, um, 
I watched a different shark movie, the mm-hmm. sequel to The Reef, The Reef Stocked. I also watched that. What did you think? I actually thought it was pretty interesting, like, for, yeah. for what it was. I mean, I saw some people talking about it, like, compare, like, this is an unfair comparison, but, like, talking about, like, The Descent is sort of, like, a similar frame, like, mm. a similar, like, occasion for the situation, but I actually, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I hadn't thought about the descent comparison, but um, it wasn't like compared in a good way. But. Right, 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 right. right. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's it wasn't you know sort of like blow you out of the water, um, but it was. I I enjoyed it too. I I had fun with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they, to an extent, kind of played by Jaws rules, mm-hmm. wherein they didn't show the shark a ton, which increased the tension. I thought. Yeah. Um, Plus, the, the, and this is something me specifically, kayaks, like, you know, like that's something where it's like you're in a boat, but you're not really in a boat, you know, and like anything can just really just. They're so sensitive, like, you know, yeah. Anything the size of the kayak or bigger could just knock you right over. Yeah. There was that one moment of like really bad CGI, though, where like the shark, like, rams the one kayak <laughs> or whatever at like mac truck speed and yeah. <laughs> it looks so cartoonish yeah, they, they did use some shark footage too it seemed as throughout as well yeah but, yeah um, yeah that was fun yeah um so i also the last episode i had i had two more episodes of the i know what you did last summer oh. um show Mm -hmm. so since then I have finished it um my initial sort of review basically stands it was a weird show it didn't quite click at the end of things but it didn't necessarily fall entirely apart either um so I don't regret it's not it's not getting more just one season they they canceled it um and it's just eight episodes so you know if you need some time to fill um yeah curious little thing (laughs) (laughs) um and like I said before it felt very little um pretty little liars to me at certain points Mm. which is a good segue into the next thing I've been watching the new pretty little liars uh original sin on HBO which is a lot um grungier and grimier and leans very heavily into um horror influences and homages it's not subtle by any means like things are incredibly on the nose to the point Mm -hmm. where it can get kind of irritating um i've heard things about about the and by mixed things i mean mostly not good things yeah it's it's definitely still like (laughs) pretty little liars (laughs) but um I am enjoying seeing them take a darker route. The vibe reminds me of the Black Christmas remake from 2006. Oh God. I remember seeing trailers for that, but like trailers on like videos that I was renting. Like back yes. there used to be some trailers on like home, like VHS yeah. and stuff. Yeah, it definitely has that feel to it. It's like like as if that like yellow like jaundicey kind of tint is over everything um but whatever that's only also supposed to be like 10 episodes so i'm just kind of doing whatever um 
And then in terms of like big movies, there have actually been a couple since we recorded. It's a hot time. Um, we both saw Nope. And we both saw Prey. Yeah. Um, so maybe we could touch on those a bit. Yeah. I <laughs> loved Nope. I thought it was great. Um, I particularly liked the raining blood scene. Oh, that, that was, was very effective. Um, the scene where the kids like are fucking with him was like legitimately scary for like, yes. 15 seconds. Yes. Um, but no, I enjoyed that whole thing. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, I think it's a total hat trick for Jordan Peele. Um, but is he the greatest horror director? Oh my god. <laughs> That whole debacle. <laughs> and then he himself was like, stop. Don't, he was like, don't do this. <laughs> yeah, don't do, don't. Put the phone down. Like, I don't accept John Carpenter slander or whatever he said. Um, yeah, really enjoyed Nope. Um, thought it was a cool, visually um, appealing movie. Loved sort of like the like breakdown of spectacle culture. Mm -hmm um and like just the the working in of different sort of like like i think i texted you this after i went to go see it that like it felt like we were working backwards in like film technology yeah. throughout the film until the thing that finally does it is when she takes the picture with the coin operated um yes. doohickey um wasn't that awesome that was really awesome and i totally like as soon as she was there i was like oh of course, yes, I remember this. It's, you know what, on it, mm -hmm. you got it. I understand how this is going to end now. Let's right. Well, when she walk, when she like ruins the picture, um, like earlier in the movie, mm -hmm. that couple or that family or whatever, I was like, all right, well, we took a moment to linger on the photo well. So I was like, how are we going to come back to that? And I didn't, it didn't click until the end. So that was great. Um, yeah, and I've I've enjoyed I've loved like all the different analyses of um yeah, like what's what's he saying and sort of like it's like this love letter to movie making um and like questions of like what was the creature um has been a lot of fun. So yeah, good stuff. Yeah. Um and then prey. God damn, I wish prey had been in theaters because it's, Talk it's, about spectacle. Spectacle, like beautiful imagery, beautiful, like just action sequences. Yes. Like it was very, it was very great. Dog, standout performance. Also MVP. Amber Mid-Thunder, that goes without Amber Mid-Thunder. But, the, but wow. the dog is also. Right. <laughs> Captain Real Coco. name was Coco, yeah. A, a shelter dog, a rescue dog. Mm -hmm who learned how to act for the big pictures. <laughs> She's a star, they both are. Yeah, no, uh, that, was a, that was a great, and I mean, like, I hope it kicks off, like it, it serves as a template to a lot of these other franchises are like, how do we reinvent ourselves? And it's like, well, do right. something like this, you know? Yeah, there were some great suggestions out there, like. I liked the, I would see a Hellraiser set in ancient Greece. Somebody yeah. threw that out there, but they're like, I wanna see ancient Greece people dealing with the puzzle box, and you know what? That would be pretty sick. Yeah, are the and, and what was the other one that was really good? Like the xenomorph on a pirate ship, I think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like do, do 
do Assassin's Creed rules, like whatever weird thing that sounds fun, you know, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, Black Flag when they were pirates, you know, Odyssey when they were in ancient Greece, just like do that. Whatever sounds fun, just drop some sort of franchise monster into it and see what happens. Because we're on board. Yeah. And you don't have to worry about like, the other thing I like that people were pointing out, like you can, you know, have like a legacy sequel or a legacy prequel, you know, you can still have the existing IP, but it doesn't have like setting it in a historical time period, like frees you from the burden of like figuring out what to do with cell phones or making like weird, annoying references to current pop culture or, you know, that just like. And I like about this is like, you see a predator that's using sort of proto versions of the technology that you know, later quote unquote predators will have in like the sort of present day films, which I found fun because it's like, oh yeah, like you get to see sort of the evolution of like, right, what, what, you know, because for them, it's also different time period too. And I, uh, I just found the whole thing very, very cool. And, you know, it was produced by the Comanche Nation, which is awesome. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, all with the exception of the Predator and the French people, all native cast, you know, love to see it. Yeah, really cool all around. And and the great reception to it, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. For those of you who are, you know, real big Avatar heads who can somehow stomach the Netflix adaptation, Amber Midthunder was cast as Princess Yue in that. So you have that to look forward to if that's something that you're into. I'm, I'm not going to be watching that, but... Tell me if she's good. Hopefully we can uh, pull her back into some more horror projects after that, because yeah. I think she would make a great scream queen horror heroine. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I guess the other thing I would highlight just real quick, um, I saw Bodies, Bodies, Bodies the other night. Um, <laughs> oh it's fun. <laughs> It definitely um, skewers uh, Gen Z. Um, different you know what? They, out there. They've been they've been living too good with their with their technology and their lack of student debt. They deserve a little skewering. Oh yeah, they get sort of thing. they get taken down. Um, all in good fun. I, I have seen some things like you know saying that like i don't know some people shitting on that i don't know if that's coming from maybe some actual gen Gen z who don't like looking in the mirror the same thing we did though (laughs) when people would shit on millennials we'd get mad too well they're the they're the young hot generation right now you know they're the 20 somethings and so they don't know what it's like to get blamed for the 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 fall of every single major industry in the 20th century they can take a little you know yeah, well, they did even a little bit of that in Scream. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that whole part, like, what's his face? Doesn't, isn't that the, where he comes in the, the party and he's like, attention, Gen Z. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah there is. And I think there will probably be more of that as in, in uh, Scream 6. Um, but yeah. It's so sad that Jack Quaid was the, was the murderer because I wanted him in every single movie. I, yeah, I want him in all movies. He was great. <laughs> He's so good. Yeah, Bodies, Bodies, Bodies was fun. Um, 
yeah it's kind of it's kind of what you expect it's a it's a slasher it's a um yeah yeah, and then the very, very last thing I'll say, because I really don't have anything to say about it, is that I just started reading the book Hide by Kirsten White. Oh, I, I almost picked that up when I was waiting. I had like time to kill at a Barnes and Noble a couple weeks ago and I spotted it and I almost yeah. um I'm like I literally just read like the first two chapters and nothing else. But I believe I'm interested because she has written some really really good stuff and written some really really bad stuff so i've heard and i haven't read anything by her yet um so this will be my first but i'm pretty sure it's being toted as like a dark supernatural thriller which is like the bougie scared way that, that people market horror when they don't want to say horror right um so we'll see i think the premise is fun but we'll see how it goes no, when she is on her A-game, she writes really interesting, inventive stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, just based on, like, what I've read from her that deals with existing IP, she doesn't do as well. So I think when she's writing her own stories and working with, like, her own mythology, she's at her best. So hopefully this is... Um, okay, good. This is, this is that. Um, I will say the first, like chapter the sort of like prologue hook chapter um was like one of the best first chapters i've read in a long time so right. she can keep that up then yeah awesome. um was there anything you wanted to share that we hadn't touched on yet yeah i have a couple so in addition to what we mentioned i also watched um moloch on shutter oh, how was that i've heard i heard good things about it I really enjoyed it. Um, okay. It was great. It um, it's like a folk horror about like this basically like the catalyst that kicks things off is like, um, this dude a like neighbor of the main character like turns up dead after like discovering a like fog body in the nearby like swamp and you know archaeologists come out to like take a look at it and things like start to escalate from there with our main character who in the cold open like witnesses the death of her grandmother from like an unknown still not caught assailant so, sure sure um we, we slowly start to find out if these things are related um it's dutch although a huge amount of it is in english just because the like archaeologists for some reason i don't know where they said that they were from but i guess they're not dutch because they're like common language between the main character and them is English. So I don't know where they're from, <laughs> um, but um, no, it's great. It definitely had that sort of feel. I, I've, I've heard that Dutch TV is big right now. Yeah, I've, I've been seeing some stuff about that. So I feel like it had the feel of what that probably is like, where it's like very sort of just like a nihilistic tone, kind of dreary, very like somber, serious characters and that sort of thing. Um, but it was really good. I liked it. I thought it was very interesting. That's on I, yeah, I almost watched it the other night back and I watched Uma instead and I really shouldn't have. I heard, I heard that about Uma. Yeah, I did not like it. Yeah. Um, in addition to that, I also watched Men oh yeah yeah so um, i've been like thinking about my thoughts i've been thinking about my thoughts about it yeah i've also feel like i've been thinking about my thoughts since i saw it in theaters 
I feel like it's something that we could do a whole episode on, but here's the most truncated version I can give you of like my sort of take on on this is that 75 the first 75% of the movie I thought was very well done and like just a great um sort of like showcasing of like the emotion of what it's like to be a woman in the world as opposed to like specific scenarios you know like right, it's, right, just, right. it's basically like hitting that sort of high level of like you know this is the vibe that that it is and I thought that did a really good job you know I haven't seen a ton of like Alex Garland like talking about what he was going for with that sort of climactic sequence pretty tight-lipped yeah so you know my reading on it is basically you know it's just a, a sort of i mean spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen it and i think you should it's best to see it like blind but um oh, yeah. you know my take on that is like it was a very on the nose way of him saying that you know men are responsible for other men and you know this is sort of what what comes from that cycle of of masculinity um you know as represented by like the green man who appears as a motif throughout like i thought it was really interesting the way he went for like male fertility imagery which is not something you see often um in culture um i thought all the performances were amazing um absolutely but um Uh Rory Kinnear, Jesse Buckley. Yeah. Her friend on the phone was good too. <laughs> yes, it was good. Um, but yeah, no, that was my take on it. Like I, you know, I don't think the ending of it like super diminishes how well done I think the first majority of the movie was. Like I know mm-hmm. for a lot of people they got really bent out of shape about how it progressed, and a lot of other people were kind of saying it was like a big nothing burger of a statement and that sort of thing but i also don't feel that like everything needs to be a profound statement like right. i feel like this is a guy who in his um previous work in like annihilation and ex machina has like explored um you know this topic in different ways and this is just the most head on admittedly on the nose way he's he's talked about it in his work um yeah but that's how i felt yeah, that's a that's such an that's an interesting film, and it's had such an interesting discourse around it since it's come out. Um, and I feel like I kind of keep like tweaking how I think about it. Right. Well, yeah, because somebody will say something, and I'll be like, "Oh, right, I didn't think about that." Or yeah, catch that. Um, and at the end of the day, like I do, I just I do love that, and I love. Yeah. No, I love the films that we can keep doing that and be like, but what about this angle? What about this? And I found myself at times because it does use like a lot of biblical imagery throughout and then like non biblical Mm -hmm. religious pagan imagery. I found myself thinking about like it in comparison to like the travesty that was mother. Oh, God. And you know, like. At the, you know, granted, at the end, he's, you know, it becomes a very literal portrayal of, like, the thing he's trying to to convey, but at least it's not, like, the most sort of basic, you know, like, he picked, you know, imagery that was, like, very sort of, like, um, you know, like, obscure, like, you know, people know the Green Man and that sort of thing, but the other deity that's in it, whose name I'm not even going to try and pronounce, it was, like, a 
super Celtic Welsh name. Yeah. But like these these sort of images, with the exception of like the scene at the apple tree and a couple other things, like some a lot of the imagery he picked was more obscure and like begged to sort of be like researched by by the audience, which I find mm -hmm. I always find interesting. And then like looking at sort of what people say about these like symbols or deities or whatever, like independent of this film, you know, and then sort of like going back. So I'm, I'm down with it. I know a lot of people had really strong feelings about it. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And I, I think you're right. I think I, I could see us doing an episode on mm -hmm. men at some point. Um, we'll newest, let things germinate a bit more. Yeah. Newest folk, maybe not the newest folk horror. I don't know what's come out since then, but newest, biggest folk horror. Folk horror yeah. Sort of yeah. main studio folk horror at, at yeah. least. Um, and then in addition to that, I watched They Slash Them. Ah. Did you watch it? No. I okay. have Peacock, but not Peacock, like, premium or plus or whatever it is. Yeah. You have to have the fancy one to watch it. Yeah, so oh. I don't know Hi. if you've heard about the scene. I haven't heard too many specifics, I've, but I have just heard sort of a general thumbs down. So, Yes. Yes to that. I will tell you the, the one scene that really sticks out in my brain is the one there was a Daily Beast article um, Gosh. That, about it that was says they slash them has the worst movie scene of the year. <laughs> oh, and you're going to no. know it when you get to it when you do watch it. So I'm not <laughs> going to tell you what happens in it. But I'm just going to say it comes from somebody who who watched a lot of Ryan Murphy. Oh, so germinate on that. Um, <laughs> didn't love they slash them. Um, it didn't know whether it wanted to be like a slasher or like a social horror film because, mm. like, the time between the first kill and the second kill is like easily maybe 45 minutes. So, much so that, like, when the killer comes back, I was like, oh, right, there's like a this is you know, there's a killer. Like, I remember seeing a killer. And then, like, once that starts happening, like, the back half of the movie is like, oh, shit, right. Like, we need to up the body count. And then people just start, like, dropping, like, you know, like, flies, essentially. And it sort of just rockets into its climax. So that I thought was annoying because I saw a better movie in, like, the mm. characters in the scenario than what was presented without going into specifics. Um, yeah. Like, I think that the movie should have focused, like, I, I, a better version of this movie would have been if it was a movie about the person who ends up being the killer and was, like, more uh, campy, kind of almost, like, babysitter-esque. Like yeah, like or, like, um, like, the later sequels for Sleepaway Camp. Right. Where it's just, like, focused on Angela. Yeah. So, you know, there's that. I also think it was way too, like, it was constantly trying to be very, like, affirming. That, like, every single character got a moment where they were like, I was born this way. and It's not a, I'm not weird. I'm the way I'm supposed to be. And, like, all this. And it's like, you know, I get it. Like, you know, maybe people need that in media. But, like, I don't think it needs to be this media. Like, this is a, this is right. a horror film. It's not out to be sort of, like, an after-school special. And to have all of them have a moment like that seems a bit sort of. Yeah, it was a big cast. And it's a lot of like, because basically it's like, you know, for lack of a better term, like they're running the gamut of like queer identities in these characters. 
like you know, one per letter in the basically there's yeah. there's a bi woman there's a, a lesbian woman there's a gay man i think there's two gay men um there's a trans woman there's a trans person who's non-binary you know like it basically there's like one each for every single like thing yeah. which felt a little like okay um but Kevin Bacon's good and creepy. I believe he runs like a cult or something. Like that's entirely possible. Hey, I mean, like there's he certainly has enough fans that would. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I honestly like if you didn't see it, I it's not gonna. Yeah, you know. my thing was like kind of like I'm assuming eventually they'll move it down to like plebeian Peacock, and then I'll give it a watch it sucks because i'd like something that's so lgbtq focused especially like having so many different like you know it's not just like gay and bi people but like having like people with different gender identities and that sort of thing being lead roles like i'd like to see something like that do better but i'd also like to see somebody make a better movie right Um, yeah it's not enough just to like have those characters there like you still need to make a good movie (laughs) yes um and then the only other thing besides that that i watched was uh the firestarter remake which i did not like yeah haven't gotten to that yet because i'm it's also avoiding it (laughs) um it's not good i mean i love zephron i don't think he really was right for that role he's i mean he's not like listen i'll i'll call him daddy if he wants me to but he's not like at that Point yeah, no, I did not really believe him as the father of this child either. As like, you know, you know, I he was I, he's obviously like technically yeah sure old enough that he could you know this could be his daughter, but like he's too you know he didn't feel world weary. He was very young, right? He didn't really have that every man quality to him. So yeah, not uh, well. I, another one that I will eventually just get to, just to get to it, but. Yeah, so that's, and okay, one more, Paper Girls, Amazon. Oh. Horror adjacent, it, it's a good thing if you're waiting around for Stranger Things to come back. <laughs> and we'll have to wait for that for a bit, so might as well. Yeah, okay, that's everything though. That's everything. I know, it's been a, it's been a, this is, um, I mean, obviously, it's about to be sort of like the season for horror, but late this late summer um, has been there's been a lot out there um, offered, and there's there's more coming. Um, Beast comes out uh, this weekend. And, uh, the invitation. I'm on the Lions team. You're in his territory. <laughs> it's like the shark. Yeah. <laughs> like um, live here. Don't you know that? Yeah. Um, yeah, and oh, Orphan First Kill also comes out soon. Did you see the hilarious photo of like how they physically made her look like a child? Yeah, with the platform shoes. Giant platform shoes. The other actors. That every single person had to wear that was like in ratio to their height to other actors. I died. Hilarious. How do you like act? How do you like then do you have to build like I imagine they'd have to build the set bigger too. It's like a total like Cirque du Soleil over there. <laughs> Talk about practical effects. Yeah, but the um, the first reviews came in the other day and they were like, this movie is fucking wild. Go see it as soon as you can. I'm exci- How could you make it more wild than 
apparently it's like a ton of fun so maybe because it's playing into the fact that we know the secret now I think from what I was gathering that was a big part of it and it was like it knows what you're expecting from a prequel to Orphan and it gives you all of that and then twists it nice I'm excited I'll be down for that yeah I remember um, that movie was like the biggest thing to rock like my high school when it came out (laughs) it like really affected everyone our age yeah that was that was that was like people like gen gen xers like you know have have uh the sixth sense we have orphan we have orphan oh god (laughs) anyway we would like go like like weeks if not months after that movie like we would just go around and like anytime someone was like vaguely silly or weird we would be like oh my god there's such an esther (laughs) (laughs) i remember just like people talking about it in class or they're like have you seen orphan (laughs) <laughs> they're like do you want to know what happens in orphans you want to know because <laughs> they like could not stop themselves from being like she's like a 30 year old it's insane <laughs> it's absolute bonkers god because it was um that's yeah. exciting though i i want i want that to be balls to the wall because nobody asked for this this came out of nowhere yeah. i did not need a sequel or a prequel orphan it's nope. been so many years since the first one that most people are not even going to remember what it what it's attached to right it's been like 13 years since the first one so <laughs> but yeah though it, it is apparently nuts <laughs> so that is that is crazy all right time to get it with that time to get into some campfire <laughs> all right so we each have curated two yeah yeah we did um not planned it just kind of worked out that way yeah so um, we can sort it, of go back and forth i think like you yeah. tell one then i tell one then you show one, then I, tell one then. I think that makes perfect sense great so you go first oh okay um, well, why don't I tell you? Um, okay, so I was I was trying to look for like I started off looking for like um, local mm-hmm. um, legends to make a good campfire tale, and there's a lot of haunted um, or supposedly haunted locations in DC, um, and a lot of them have a historical bent to them. But I wanted something that had a bit more sort of like everyman flavor. I want to know every place that George Washington's ghost can be spotted at the same time. Right. Um, and so I sort of expanded my search to Northern Virginia in general and ended up discovering that Richmond actually has a fairly um, rich uh, paranormal bent to it. Um, and so I'm going to tell you one story in particular, um, the story of the Richmond vampire. Oh, my God. Yeah. Love it. Okay, so um, I guess a little context first to set the scene. Um, In 1875, the Chesapeake and Ohio Railway Company was looking to uh, connect some pre-existing track in Richmond, Virginia um, to another spur about 75 miles south. Um, 
which would more or less connect Richmond to Newport News and essentially give it connection to the ocean um, and all of the shipping that would be available that way. Um, this was considered a fairly big risk to take um, and bank on the railroad being profitable um, because uh, the industrial revolution was kicking into high gear. So there was an increasing demand for things like coal um, that was mined in the Western part of Virginia. To, so to go South rather than to go West was um, regarded as kind of a gamble. Okay. Um, Part of this new railway line was going to cut directly through Richmond near the famous Jefferson Park. Um, and so in order to accomplish that, it was decided that a tunnel would be built for the track to pass through. Um, and so the trains would enter on 18th Street and then they would exit um, near 31st Street about 4,000 feet later. Um, all sounds pretty good on paper, right? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. <laughs> but uh, a lot of complications to actually bring this idea to reality. Um, chief among those complications, the fact that Richmond um, sits on a known um, geological foundation of clay, um, whereas it's more common for most cities in Virginia to sit on a foundation of bedrock. Mm. Um, and so the um, clay and the kind of soil that forms around clay um, changes consistency uh, quickly and frequently depending on the season and on the weather. Um, so when there's lots of rain, there is more groundwater, which will swell the clay. And then when um, it's not as rainy or when it's dry, the opposite happens. Okay. So naturally it's pretty difficult to build on ground that is constantly shifting. Um, shifting stands, as it were. And so as construction begins, it's not long before there start to be series of small cave-ins, um, which hinder the progress of the tunnel. Um, in total, it would take six years to complete the entire project, which um, it looks like is about twice as long, if not four times as long as it should have taken. Um, and uh, in that six years, at least 10 men died while they were working on the tunnel. Um, and even after it was open, the water had a tendency to seep in and cause a lot of problems. So there would have to be almost constant repairs. And this went on for decades. Um, and then in 1901, um, an alternative route was created. And so this tunnel, which had become known as the Churchill Tunnel was used less and less. But the railroad decided it wanted to increase um, its capacity. Uh, and so in 1925, they turned their attention back to this old tunnel, uh, the Churchill Tunnel, which had been neglected for um, more or less two decades at this point. And so they assembled a crew to bring it up to modern standards. Um, and they're like, oh, now we have the technology to sort of uh, get it right. And so, um, repairs begin in the autumn of 1925. Um, they bring in uh, several dozen men to um, begin the work, which is powered mostly by uh, 
steam technology. They're bringing a steam train that brings them in and out of the tunnel every day, uh, hoping to um, make the tunnel safe for future use. Um, but on October 2nd, um, which was about like six or so weeks, I think, into the project, um, there was a collapse um, inside the tunnel. A large portion of the ceiling caved in. Um, pretty much the entire crew was inside at the time. Most of, yeah, yeah. Um, most of the crew was able to escape. However, five men were trapped inside and they were buried alive. Mm. Correct reaction. Um, and to make matters worse, the um, steam engine, the steam train that took the men in and out every day was obviously still inside the tunnel during the collapse. And so the weight of all the debris pressed down on the engine and caused an explosion. Yeah. I'm waiting for this to be like, what, what, how did the vampire come into this? Aha. <laughs> and so not only is there a collapse, now there's an explosion. The entire tunnel fills with all of this steam and dust. That then contributes to further collapse. So then there are like smaller collapses happening in the wake of the large one and the explosion. Now, according to legend, it is um, on the evening of the collapse um, when, you know, rescue efforts have been going on and they're trying to clear away the, the, the rubble and the debris and they're not making any progress at all, that something walks out of the tunnel, but it's not human. Witnesses say it was a hulking creature that was covered in strips of decaying flesh, that it had sharp teeth, a, a crazed look in its red eyes. And finally, some witnesses report that there was blood flowing from its mouth. And because of that particular detail, this creature has become known as the Richmond Vampire. No one could explain why it was there or how it was able to leave the tunnel, but some think that whatever this thing was, it was attracted to the horror and the carnage and that it had come or been awakened to feed on the five men who perished inside the tunnel. And they say, that's why no one was able to find four of the missing men. Only one man was found. He was the operator of the train because he was still seated in the, at the, in the control booth. The other bodies were never recovered. Creepy, I don't like it. Yes. So it is believed the vampire had something to do with it. Now, um, this news spreads like wildfire. Um, the Richmond papers report on it. Um, and slowly more details start to emerge. Other witnesses from the rescue crew um, come forward and talk about seeing the creature fleeing from the eastern end of the tunnel. 
um, past the gathering crowds of workers. They say it moves fast. Um, and that even though it would stand upright, it would move like, mm -hmm. on all fours. I hate that. I don't, that's like yeah. the worst. Yep. Um, it was spotted making its way south towards um, the Hollywood Cemetery. And um, a few workmen who had been in the tunnel and escaped before the complete collapse um, say that they tried to chase the creature at one point, um, but lost sight of it when it reached uh, the graveyard, the, the Hollywood Cemetery. And a couple others say that they saw it slipping into the tombs among um, the final resting place of a man named W.W. Poole. Uh, Poole was a um, relatively sort of um, quiet, um, unknown accountant uh, who had um, died in Richmond three years prior. Um, and so the legend starts to grow when this detail emerges. Um, they're saying that, you know, the blood on the teeth, um, the, that were jagged, going back to the mausoleum, all of this is pointing to the fact that Poole was a vampire that had somehow risen from the dead. And so um, it was said that for many, many nights going forward, people returned to the cemetery, all of them trying to see if they could spot the vampire emerging from its hiding place. Um, but there are no real further stories of sightings of the vampire or what happened next. Um, if the creature had been active before the incident, it seems that this um, tragedy was something that sort of sated it and allowed it to slumber. But the legend says that it can only do so for so long and it eventually it, it will um, awaken once again, either by another tragedy or just because it's time to feed once more. This is like out west they have earthquakes and volcanoes. And we have <laughs> and we have this. So that is um the legend of the Richmond vampire. Creepy. I love a good <laughs> I I'm like there's I like getting sort of vampire tales from like unexpected places at unexpected times me like, too you know you expect to hear about vampires in europe or in stately manners and that sort of thing but getting one in like 19th century virginia relating to like the railroad like oh that, that's interesting to me pretty unexpected right yeah um yeah i thought that one was really creepy um i like that it's I mean, like, like so many urban legends, right? Like they don't really end. It's just sort of like, and then we don't know, you know? On a night just like tonight. On a night just like tonight. Um, I also think there's like a lot there that would make like a pretty cool book or. Yeah, no, I think that would be a very interesting sort of expanded story. Yeah. So uh, hopefully that was nice and creepy for you chatterers. Yeah. So I'm going to let you pick because I have one that's more of a supernatural spooky story and one that's more of a sort of true crime tall tale 
story. Which one would you like to hear first? Let's start with True Crime Tall Tale. Okay. So I think I've talked to you about this a little bit before. I don't know if I've given you the full rundown, though. And I've definitely not given chatterers the full rundown, though. Great. Um, but I imagine you have heard me talk about the Superstition Mountain Range. Yeah, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Yeah. So um, I used to live in Arizona, as many of you may know. Um, I lived uh, for a few years out in the valley, um, just outside Phoenix. And the Superstition Mountains, which, you know, in and of itself, the name already kind of, you know, casting a sort of, you know, tone. Uh, if you look at pictures of the mountains. It's a vibe. It's a vibe. If you look at pictures of the mountains, they're very, like the, the Superstition Mountain itself, for which the sort of range is named, is very, um, has a very striking visage to it. Um, it's a very um, imposing sort of, uh, you know, bit of geology that sort of crops out of, you know, the desert. Um, <clears throat> but the Superstition Mountains in Arizona um, sit on the ancestral land of the Hoa, I'm going to say it right, Hoakam. <laughs> Pima. There's other things in here I'm going to say wrong, by the way. That's not going to be the only thing. And the Oadam tribes. Um, okay. With the Apache, the Maricopa, the Yavapai, and others nearby. There's a lot of overlapping things. Um, in the stories that people will tell in the general area, the Apaches um, tend to have the most like presence in the stories. But in terms of um, the sort of stories passed down about the mountains, the only one that I found um, that I could, you know, reliably trace back to an actual native origin as opposed to like white people saying the Native Americans say this place is cursed and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is a Pima legend about um, a character named Sua who um, escapes a sort of punitive flood from a god in a very similar story to that of Noah. His flood myths are everywhere. Right. We should be starting. That's you know, as as we've said before on Splatter Chatter, we are pro the study of flood history. <laughs> yes, because some thumbs. Everyone has a flood myth. Um, in this case, it might come from the fact that you know there are fossils of fish and shit out in the desert because there did used to be a um, ocean that cut through that particular part of the United States. So this might have been. Um, you know, their cultural history on that. Regardless, um, another legend which I've seen attributed to the Apache, but I want to, you know, preface this with like, you know, if I could not find, you know, any specific hardcore evidence that this is an Apache legend and not something that white people made up. Um, mm. I have heard it, I've read it online, and I also heard it when I lived out there. So who knows? Um, but um, associated with the mountain is basically at the top of the mountain. There was believed to be a hole where the winds of the world came out of. Okay. Um, and, and that's what caused the storms in the valley. Yeah. Um, and then also, if you went down that hole, it would take you to the underworld and that sort of thing. Sure. Um, take that one with a grain of salt. Um, but because, you know, whatever, you know, there was, you know, that we're aware of, uh, or unaware of at this point, you know, we know it must have had 
you know, a lots of stories around it because they ended up calling it the Superstition Mountains, right? Um, that wasn't for nothing. So mm -hmm. um, the first settlers in the area were the like Spanish Mexican settlers um, who called the mountains the Sierra de la Espuma, which is means foam mountains. Okay. Um, but they were prospecting in the area at the base of the mountain um, or several several like gold mines. Um, there was the mammoth mine, the bulldog mine, there was some copper mining and other things like the area around the mountain was pretty rich in, um, you know, the kind of minerals that people were into when they went out west. Yeah. Um, so legend has it that this wealthy uh, Spanish Mexican family, the Peralta family, uh, owned land rights around the superstition um, and depending on you know how it goes either it was a lucrative mine or it was a cache of gold hidden somewhere in the range which uh, you know sometimes also gets tied back to stories about um, you know the Apaches themselves having a cache of gold in the mountain again you know this part is is legend and rumor but we're going to be working up to something that did historically happen so okay. just know that this is all the stuff that's swimming around um in the ether of of what ends up happening so gotcha lots of rumors <laughs> lots of yeah lots of whispers. rumors yeah lots of you know saying different things about different things etc so um as part of the story miguel peralta who was a scion of the family um he and a group of men were leading a sort of expedition into the base of the mountain and were attacked by uh, the local indigenous tribe. There's no real evidence for this, but to this day, the area where it supposedly happened is known as Massacre Grounds, like actually yeah. in the park that now sits there. So that's kind of, you know, whatever. Sure. Um, but in 1848, uh, a German immigrant named Jacob Waltz came to America. Uh, from what is believed to be Wusenberg, Wusenberg, uh, Germany. Mm -hmm. And in the 1860s, he makes his way out west to pursue prospecting in and around Phoenix. He operated a farm. Um, rumors start to pop up around him that he would like show up in town boasting about large sums of money, rich veins of gold. He reportedly sold over $250,000 worth of gold wow the equivalent of 7.1 million today um Whoa. to the u.s treasury treasury before he died um so you know all this is happening he's getting it from somewhere at least he's telling people these tales in 1891 a flood hits the area uh waltz's farm is devastated and he also like gets sick with what's believed to be pneumonia um He's tended to by a local woman named Julia Thomas for some time. Ultimately, he passes away on October 25th of that year uh, and is buried in Pioneer and Military Memorial Park. Uh, the gravestone is still there. If you're interested, you can go find his grave um, or what is believed to be his grave, I guess. Who knows if there's a body down there? <laughs> yeah. How I feel about graves. Um, before he died, though, he related some information about the location of, you know, some people call it a gold mine, some people call it a cache of gold. For simplicity's sake, we'll call it a gold mine. That's what most people know it as. Um, but he relayed this to Thomas, the woman who is taking care of him. 
um, in the following September, she started like she went out trying to follow his clues to to look for the gold mine wasn't successful and ended up just selling the clues for $7 a pop. Um, which hey, equivalent of like over $200 in today's money. So that's what she did. But we do have because she was doing that we do have supposedly what he told her, which is this uh, little sort of list of riddles, if you will, which I'm going to read to you. Yeah. So it says, from my mine, you can see the military trail, but from the mi military trail, you cannot see my mine. The military trail being a, a trail in the area. So there's that fun little Indiana Jones bullshit. Um, <laughs> I'm the in. Rays, <laughs> the rays of the setting sun shine into the entrance of my mine. Okay. Um, there is a trick in the trail of my mine. Don't know what that means. Don't know. If trap door is going to open up and like right <laughs> a boulder triggered by <laughs> yeah um my mind is located in the north trending canyon so like if you look on google maps basically or if you were hiking in this area there's a couple different canyons that come off um this mountain yeah. and go into the range so people have uh, looked into that i do um there is and then the last one is there is a rock face on the trail to my mind. A couple other figure like geological features that pop or like pop up in this that people talk about. But basically it's all this stuff. It's all this sort of like weird, like nondescript stuff. And basically, mm -hmm. you know, to this day no one's been able to to locate it if it's out there. So okay. you know it's one of many sort of tales about um lost mines out in the west that's kind of like a motif out there but the thing that put this particular mine like on the map it's known as the lost dutchman's gold mine um was something that happened in 1931. okay so this you know all this we have evidence for because it's the 1930s and we have newspapers and pictures and that sort of thing right so uh this guy adolf ruth tough name mm. um about to be tougher. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he, he lives out there. He's an adventurer. He's an outdoorsman. He's an avid treasure hunter. He like searched for other mines before. He previously like actually broke his leg looking for the peg leg mine in California. He had like pins in his hip and that sort of thing. That will be important later. Um, so he's, you know, living out there doing his thing. He's into this shit. His son, Erwin, uh, reportedly came into possession of a treasure map uh, rumored to belong to the Peralta mine as payment for legal services uh, that he gave to a client who claimed to be a descendant of the family. So he's got this map and he gives it to his dad because he's like, you're into this shit. Um, and he wants. <laughs> so uh, Ruth, you know, takes the map. He decides in the summer of 1931, he's going to sit out for a two week solo excursion uh, into the mountain to see if he can make heads or tails of this map and and find what was going on it. Okay. Um, this was against the advice of his friend who this cannot be his Christian name, but Tex Barkley. Oh my God. Um, who outfitted him and who he stayed with before he left, who was basically like, you're 66 years old and it's the middle of summer. This is very stupid. But Ruth was like, not to be deterred, went anyway. Jeez. So Two weeks pass and Ruth doesn't come back. He doesn't appear back in town when he's supposed to. 
um, and a search party is like called to figure out, you know, like what's good. Um, for several months, nothing can be found of him uh, until December 1931, when a human skull was located uh, up in the mountain. This is another name. There's no way in hell I'm going to pronounce it right. It's like a, a Czech name. So I apologize to anyone out there who who has a Czech name, but uh, it is what it is. Um, so they called in an anthropologist named, to the best of my ability, Alice Perdlika, uh, to um, look at photos of Ruth, look at his dental records, and look at the skull. And ultimately, he positively IDs this is belonging to Adolf Ruth. Hmm. Interestingly, um, the skull <clears throat> appears to have what you know Herdlika called a shotgun wound to the head that was fired from point blank range based on what he could surmise uh-oh yeah so that's really weird um a month later in january of 1932 more remains were discovered um this was basically the rest of the body it was found like sort of heavily consumed by scavengers and court you know mm -hmm. strewn about in the process of like well into the process of decomposing but they identified it as ruth's body based on like the personal effects found around the body which were a pistol that had not been fired there were no missing shots in the pistol the metal pins from his hip <laughs> and his broken <laughs> leg um his checkbook um in which somebody oh. had scrawled the phrase veni vidi vici uh which yeah. yeah famously means i came i saw i conquered missing from his personal effects and not recovered was the map it was never found to this day to this, yeah so <clears throat> the death was not considered a homicide because authorities thought he died of natural causes like out in the wilderness like they thought he had a heart attack or something the possibility of suicide was floated because of the evidence of like the bullet hole in his head but the um, pistol was full right so they ruled that out because they were like well he didn't fire a shot as far as we can tell looking at his gun so they basically it was like they they called it sort of natural causes and but there was a bullet there was a whoop yeah. in his head it was the 1930s um yeah they were they were like oh, no, no, no. yeah so that was that <laughs> well, like um, a cigarette <laughs> <clears throat> the story you know got very big um just because like it was the great depression and people were like well look at this fanciful little tale and that sort of thing um plenty of people have gone out looking for this mine the lost dutchman's gold mine um myself included at 12 years old with thinking i'm gonna <laughs> find it with my fucking 40 dollar metal detector from walmart um <laughs> story um, that's amazing yeah so a lot of people have gone out a lot of people have died out there because it is a very harsh area um depending on the time of year you go out or if you do something stupid or if you get lost i think a lot of these sort of like hunts for the mine take you very off trail and that sort of thing uh the most recent death that i could find was in january of this year which oh wow a hiker who fell while trying to take a picture i guess um Ugh but um you know if you dig into the forums around this stuff like people 
<clears throat> refer to this sort of death of Adolf Ruth and like the um the the entity the person behind it as sort of a um I think they they you know they call it like the sniper theory or something like that and like they have these sort of like twisting it's a very deep rabbit hole but you'll find people who have theories that somebody is guarding the mine and things like that um something supernatural is guarding it or who knows who knows it could be something supernatural it could be somebody who knows where it is and doesn't want other people to find it um Mm -hmm. you know it kind of blends supernatural with sort of like the classic treasure hunt tales and that sort of yes which i love yeah i love treasure hunt there's a lot out there about the lost section's mind and uh, it definitely fascinated me in my sort of tween years when I was living in Arizona. Oh, 100%. Um, but it is always kind of interesting, right? Like, you know, I love a good, like, exploration treasure hunt story. But in reality, like, most of those things end poorly, um, yeah. <laughs> as exhibited by Adolf Ruth's story. Yes. Yeah, so... Ooh, very interesting. Now, did you ever, like, did you ever experience anything, like, weird when you were out there? I mean, not really. I mean, the mountain itself is just a very sort of, has a weird vibe to it. Like, it's just, just crazy to even look at. If you look at pictures of it, it's a very imposing, um, you know, giant mass of rock it cuts a very strange silhouette it kind of sits over the the valley um in a sort of ominous way Mm, hanging rock a little bit it's like that except if hanging rock were like 20 times the size um it's i've thought about that a lot with hanging like in conjunction with this and hanging rock and just sort of like there's a lot of people there's a lot of like foo-foo shit about it you know like new agey people who are like i'm gonna take my crystals over to whatever there's a lot of that in general in arizona but with this mountain as well um there's a lot of stories that fly around about different you know supernatural things that may or may not live in the mountain different sort of pieces of mythology associated with it um but i never had anything you know weird happen i also never went far enough into the mountain that it was like could happen because i was like younger and like yeah you know we didn't like i've hiked up to the base of it and then like a bit sort of starting to like climb into it um but i've never gotten super far into what they call it the superstition wilderness so um but you know it's uh it's interesting yeah that sounds really interesting yeah, Ooh. yeah. i love it i want to see it i want to see superstition now yeah google it google it. no i'm gonna see it in person oh well you can fly out there too <laughs> i'm gonna go all the way out there i'm gonna look at it and then i'm just gonna come right we, back. Uh, one of our favorite activities when you know we'd have people come visit is um they actually visited this place on ghost adventures and i almost wanted to be like how do i call in and say this is bullshit because i've been there and i know you're full of shit <laughs> but there's a sort of semi-preserved ghost town out there by the mines that did exist at the base of the mountain uh mammoth mm-hmm. mine and bulldog mine um called goldfield um and there's a saloon there that's like 
you know, it's like a ship of Theseus thing where it's like, it's mostly the original building, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, minus the parts that are about to like crumble, but there was a beautiful patio on the saloon, like deck that basically just faced like the mountain. And we would always sit out there and, and, you know, eat lunch and my parents would get drinks and people would be pulling up with their horses. Cause there was like yeah. a little place to park your horse and tie them up. And uh-huh. That is cool. <laughs> the Wild West. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm going to pull us back to the East Coast mm-hmm. <laughs> um, or the Northeast. Because um, my next story um, is a Pennsylvania based urban legend. Um, Western PA specifically, just outside of Pittsburgh. Um, So I heard it, not regularly, but like I heard this story at at least a couple points growing up. Mm -hmm. Um, And I did not know that there was um, some truth behind the tale. So do let me tell you about... um, Do let me tell you. Do let me tell you about the Green Man Tunnel. Oh, yes. And the legend of Charlie No Face. I have heard tell of this person. I don't know the details. Ah, well, <laughs> I didn't know the true details, but um so okay, so on um the outskirts of Pittsburgh, um near uh peters creek um um, or the conjunction of peters creek and piney fork you can find an old railroad tunnel that is um no longer in use it's covered with graffiti at one point it was boarded up um now it's not but it is filled with road salt um and it just sort of sits in the middle of nowhere in the woods um it was originally built in 1924 and named the Piney Fork Tunnel. Uh, its purpose was to service coal mines um, along Pennsylvania's um, Peters Creek branch of the Pennsylvania Railroad. Um, it was in service until 1962 um, when it was shut down. And uh, since then, um, many people in the Pittsburgh area know it as the Green Man Tunnel. And so it's, it's one of those things where teenagers um, drive into the tunnel. They uh, turn off the lights of their car, because um, obviously they're there at night. Mm-hmm. And you call out to the green man who would supposedly appear um, from the dark, his skin sort of glowing green, um, supposedly because he, had a, um, he died in an electrical accident. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the challenge was to, apologies for that. <laughs> the challenge was to um, turn on your car and get out of the tunnel between the time you saw him and um, the green man touching your car. Cause if he touched your car, it would stall the vehicle or like make it difficult to start. Um, and then you'd really be screwed. So, uh, sort of just like another urban legend like there's a lot of different 
tales that are similar to this in small towns across the country um, with like kernels of truth in them, um, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but there is um, a bit of truth into the story of the green man. And we can find that truth um, in actually the neighboring um, state in the town of Youngstown, Ohio, um, which is very, very, very close to the border of PA. Um, and for several generations now, um, the locals have called zombie land. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, so zombie land um, is an, uh, encompasses the area of Youngstown and um, the rural areas outside of Hillsville, Pennsylvania, which are the two towns sort of like right on the border between the two states. Um, and this is where the Green Man legend was born. Um, the legend of uh, an electrical worker um, hor horribly disfigured in an accident um, or a lightning strike um, in the middle of a storm, depending on some versions of the tale. Supposedly his skin glows green um, and wanders and he wanders the road um, in the dark of night, chasing anyone he comes across. Teenagers seek him out as a rite of passage or just a chance to scare their friends um, and by getting a glimpse of them. Um, but this green man was not um, just some ghostly apparition um, that the folks of Zombieland made up. He was based on a real person uh, who died about 30 years ago, whose name was Raymond Robinson, um, or as he was known when he was younger, Ray. Okay. Tell you a little bit about him. Okay. Um, Ray Robinson was born in uh, October of 1910, and he grew up in Manaka, which is just south of Beaver Falls in Pennsylvania. His father passed away when he was only seven years old, when Ray was seven years old, not when his father was seven. <laughs> um, and then Ray's mother remarried um, a few years later to her late husband's brother. Oh. Yeah. Um, two years after that, uh, Ray was uh, with some friends on the bridge um, near Fourth Street, uh, which would carry the Harmony Trolley over Wallace Creek when he and his friends spotted a bird's nest um, that was high up in the girders of the bridge um, and like sort of like nestled in uh, the wires. Um, Ray ended up getting dared by his friends to climb up there um, and get the bird's nest. So he did. Um, but when he reached the top, he obviously made contact with the live wire, which was carrying 22,000 volts of electricity. Yeah. So the force of that contact threw him from the bridge. Um, he survived the fall, uh, obviously with incredibly severe burns to his face and body. Uh, he was rushed to Providence Hospital. He was not expected to survive, but by some miracle, he did. 
uh, as you would imagine though, um, the accident left permanent um, scars and um, malformations on Ray's body. Uh, his left arm uh, had to be amputated at the elbow um, and almost uh, the entire rest of his body had scar damage. Um, but primarily uh, his face, which was almost entirely burnt. He lost his nose um, and because the um, surgical procedures at the time, there wasn't a lot of reconstruction that could be done. So he was left with just um, a hole in his face where his nose had been. Um, he also lost his eyes and his mouth um, was bloated and sort of twisted um, out of shape. Um, reportedly, while he was in the hospital and recovering, he was actually in very good spirits um, given what had happened to him. Um, but because of what um, his appearance now was in the time, um, Ray became an unwilling recluse mm -hmm. um, and essentially disappeared from public life for the remainder of his childhood and adulthood. Uh, he started making floor mats and belts and wallets, so like leather working, um, and that's how he would make money. Um, at some point, he and his mother moved. Um, they bought a house just west of Koppel um, and lived there with some other relatives going in and out. Um, Ray ended up becoming really restless um, by, you know, living life essentially as a shut-in, only having his mom or some relatives, um, in his life. So he started taking walks during the day, um, to get some exercise and to just sort of be out of the house. Um, but as you can imagine, the locals were not particularly kind to him based on his appearance. Um, neighborhood parents apparently asked him to stay away because he scared the children. Um, there were reports that, you know, he would be followed um, by people sort of gawking at him and that really bothered him. Um, but one way or another, uh, because of this, Ray decided to start taking walks later in the day and then eventually at night. Um, and he would walk between the state road, um, between Coppola and New Galilee, uh, with one foot on the pavement and the other on the gravel. Um, so he sort of knew he wouldn't walk off like the set path, um, cause he was blind after all. Um, and he also used a walking stick to help him feel his way through the darkness. Um, and, you know, he was reported as saying at times, like it made no difference to him to walk at night because he was blind. So he couldn't tell the difference between day and night. He just wanted to walk, um, and not bother anyone and, and be left to do so. Um, but of course, eventually, Charlie was discovered um, on, or Ray, sorry, was discovered uh, taking his walks at night. And then the tales of the green man or the new nickname, Charlie No Face, start developing. Um, it's not super clear where the stories about the green skin or the glow of the skin came from. Um, 
There are some accounts saying that Ray would often wear his favorite green plaid shirt or other green clothes that would reflect color um, so that like car lights would be able to see him mm-hmm. if they were coming. And so that may have been where the green skin came from. Um, his skin was also apparently pretty pale. So that would like reflect the green um, as well. Um, but either way, it did become a pastime for local kids to start heading out to Route 351 at night and look for Ray, aka Charlie No Face, aka the Green Man. Um, sometimes uh, folks would stop and talk with him um, or share a cigarette. Um, or he would uh, pose for pictures sometimes too. Um, uh, at one point he was taking pictures in exchange for like beer and a pack of cigarettes. Um, and by all accounts, those that like knew him at this time or stopped to talk to him, um, said that he was very kind and one of the nicest people you could ever meet. Um, but because of his, um, physical appearance, many people, um, were afraid of him and, um, were cruel to him and turned away from him. Um, but the, the negative attention and the taunting didn't deter him. He kept, um, going on his walks pretty much every single night. Um, apparently he never really stopped feeling lonely, um, or craving interaction with people outside of his family, but his popularity did, um, increase, um, particularly in the 1960s when um, he was such a local attraction that uh, there would be traffic jams along the road as people were hoping to get a glimpse of um, the famous green man, the famous Charlie No-Face. Um, and then as he got older, he started walking less and less. And in the 1980s, he moved to the Beaver County Geriatric Center um, in Beaver, Pennsylvania. And that's where he passed away on June 11th, 1985. He was 74. Um, he's now buried in Grandview Cemetery, uh, which is just actually a hop, skip and away from the bridge where he had his accident as a child. Um, and his story and where most of this information comes from uh, was covered in an article in the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette from 1998 uh, the green man's legend continues to grow. And that is the story of Ray Robinson, AKA Charlie No Face, AKA the green man. Yeah, I, I've heard tales of, of the green man as like sort of like Pennsylvania legends, even though it kind of like takes place in Ohio and that sort of thing. And I did know that there was a real person associated with it, um, but that's interesting. It's kind of like a sort of, you know, unfortunate real life, like Boo Radley situation almost. Right? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I thought that was really interesting because I, yeah, I knew like vaguely the Green Man, Charlie Nofe's story, but I didn't know it was connected to a real person. Um, so I thought that was pretty fascinating um, and a little sad. Um, but also like, I don't know, it seems like he made peace with 
how his life shook out, or at least I hope he did. Yeah. Yeah, no, very unfortunate stuff, but yeah. So yeah, not as a bone chilling, I think, as the Richmond vampire, but. No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, interesting. Yeah. So what are you going to take us home with, Miss Mel? So I'm going to take you with a sort of supernatural tale, kind of in a similar vein. We're still dealing with some prospectors and that sort of thing. Ooh. But this time we are in... Uh, it was the old prospector all along. <laughs> we are in the vicinity of Estes Park, famous okay. for its, you know, location of, or being the location of the events of The Shining. Mm-hmm. Um, this has nothing to do with The Shining, though. <laughs> So there we go. So um, our guy in this is William Clyde Currents, aka Minor Bill. Minor Bill. Minor Bill. I should say the sort of tale that I'm telling you is uh, known colloquially as the legend of the blue mist. Ooh, I like it. So, yes. So we got Minor Bill. Minor Bill. And what's he? Born... <laughs> so he. <laughs> I thought it was like he's a dentist. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He was born in Trenton, Nebraska, and in 1883, made his way down to Colorado with the intention of doing prospecting is in what is known as the Mummy Range Mountains, okay, um, which is just outside like Estes Park in the northern central part of the state. Um, he quickly became known in town as like an eccentric. Um, because he would come down from the mountain in his prospecting with these like outlandish claims of things that he encountered up in the mountains. Um, he quote talked of astrology and divine divine things at different times. Okay. Um, you know, he just had a lot of weird stuff to say about about things he saw while up in the mountains. Um, and people didn't really think he should be up there anyway because like. You know it was against the advice of geologists or like there's no gold up there but he was like convinced he was going to find something up there right um so tolerance for him in town um kind of ran out um in november of 1904 when he because of his shenanigans yeah he had sort of like a big public freak out or breakdown or what have you it just got to the point he was talking about creatures and ghosts and they were like that's it and a group of citizens um, apprehended him and took him to um, the county jail, basically, mm. for his own safety and for others' safety. A doctor came in to examine him um, and quickly declared him, quote, insane. Um, there was no, like, mental health diagnosis. It also, you know, we didn't do that at this time. He was just insane, according yeah. to the doctor. Um, said his case of insanity was very severe. And he was committed to the Colorado State Insane Asylum for five years. So, oh. he's, yeah. so he's doing that. Um, upon his release, Bill immediately went back to prospecting in the Rockies. Oh my God. <laughs> um, <laughs> he like got new like land claims and everything. He was in what today we know as Rocky Mountain State Park. At the time, it was known as Horseshoe Park. Um, Okay. But it's basically up in the mountains, like Mount Chapin, um, the same mummy range as it's called. Um, so he's up there, he's doing his work, he's cutting down trees, he's building himself little roads to travel by, he's building cabins for himself, he's prospecting. And then in 19- Oh, I mean, 
like it sounds like Bill just fucks, you know, like he's just <laughs> not. <laughs> yeah. In 1915, uh, the area becomes Rocky Mountain National Park. Um, and okay. Bill is approached by park rangers who are like, hey, you got to stop cutting down trees and like building roads. Like this is government property now. Mm. And he's like, okay, whatever. They build their own road, which is still in service today, Fall River Road. Um, and it was like, I guess, close enough to his area that it curbed him. So he put up barbed wire across, oh, across the road to block access to it and was quickly arrested. Bill was like, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. So they arrested Bill for that again. Um, he returned to his property didn't you know said he wouldn't build any more barbed wire fences but kept you know working on his cabins cutting down trees in 1930 they finally like forced him to vacate the area and they were like you gotta you gotta not so he sort of moves down into town um although he still sort of has properties up there that he occasionally perhaps disappears to he's mm. still talking about tales of monsters and basically what you know, he sort of says that he sees is when he's up um, in his cabins overlooking the valley, he would witness at times a blue fog that would sort of roll into the valley. Um, and then when it would roll out and he would like sort of go down to see what was what, he would find dead animal carcasses um, that looked like they had really been picked clean. And then specifically, the big thing was three-toed footprints in sort of the earth, as it were. Hmm. Um, he believed that he- um, Three toes. Right. Um, he believed that he had sort of like unleashed some sort of primal force in the valley by digging up these like, by like prospecting the area and digging up, I guess, crystals that he had found. Sure. In um, and then eventually one day um, he stopped showing up and down like he, he just he, you know no one had seen him for a few days and they're like i don't know it's kind of weird like i don't hate it but somebody should probably check on him <laughs> so this local retired army officer named lewis uh o'riordan was like all right i'll do it so he goes up to um up into the mountain where minor bill's properties are i think he went up there with a couple of people up in mount chapin and he comes back down and he says, okay, well, Minor Bill is dead because they found Bill's skeleton outside um, his house, sitting on Ooh. the steps outside of his house. They said it was basically just skeleton and sort of sinew. There was really no flesh left on it or anything like that. Uh. And nearby the body, they found three-toed footprints. Um, to this day, people still talk about seeing the blue, blue like, like hikers in the area will say that they have seen blue fog in, in the valley. They've talked about it and said like, yeah, it was kind of weird. Like just basically fog of a sort of odd color or like with a weird glow to it. Um, and there's different stories here and there about the footprints there's some pictures you can find online people put up of like being like oh i saw these weird three-toed footprints and that sort of thing um but yeah. is there any like are there any theories about like 
like is it is some does something live in the fog like the fog conceals this three-toed creature or i think one of the big theories that people have and this is something that people have not obviously like what minor bill had is aliens <laughs> you know they think it's a sort of alien thing a supernat, like an extraterrestrial thing minor bill obviously thought it was something that was sort of like in the earth that came out um it only moved in the fog it you know um he never saw the actual thing he never claimed to see the actual thing he just said he would find the footprints and find sort of like remnants of its like presence and, and handiwork and that sort of thing wow and it was not i mean probably not given the time period but it wasn't determined how he had died no, I think like if they were to posit it, they would be like he passed out drunk and then yeah died of frostbite and then animals came and ate his body. Which who knows? Maybe that's what that, that probably is what happened. But like you know, it was just very sort of spooky and alarming for the people of FT's part. No, hundred percent. the The footprints near his body is a chilling detail. Mm-hmm. You know, especially since like other folks. That's like when other people first saw them, it sounds like, you know, and it wasn't like him being like, I found this crazy. And they're like, okay, Bill. Right. And this I felt was, it ended up being particularly good for a sort of post prey. It's like, oh, he obviously got murdered. That is a, yeah, that's a good, uh, that's a good companion tale for prey. Yeah, I I, I gravitate towards spooky stories in mountains. I enjoy a good, um, Spooky tale about mountains are spooky. Yeah. And often, you know, often associated in lore with like magic or the otherworldly or, you mm-hmm. know, supernatural. So, yeah. There's a lot in there. I like it. Yeah. Well, we hope you chatterers also liked these campfire tales. Um, hopefully you'll listen to them as you go about um, your last couple of summer adventures in the coming weeks um, as we get ready to transition into spooky season. Miss um, Mel and I uh, are going to have a pretty good transition, actually, I think. Uh, we will be taking a long weekend away in Salem mm-hmm. uh, for our shared birthday coming up. And uh, as a result, next month's episode is going to be a bit of a uh, recap of our adventures there, maybe a little bit of uh, history of Salem's spooky sides. You might be familiar with some of that. And uh, yeah, just sort of uh, getting our witch on as we prep for um, for the Halloween times. Yeah, almost upon us. It's almost going to whip out my pumpkin flavored everything. I mean, there's already pumpkin flavored shit in the grocery store. I just yeah, in principle can't buy it yet. Yeah, I, I can't. I can't. I mean, like, I've got to at least get through Labor Day before my mind considers switching. And that's the thing is, I still have some similar like activities that I have to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to an amusement park this weekend. Like, that's prime summer activity. So taking a yearly trip to Maine for Labor Day. Also very summery. Yeah. yeah. We're not done yet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so look forward to that in September. Um, 
But you should also, chatterers, let us know how you're uh, winding down your summer. And if you have any spooky campfire tales, um, you want us to consider for um, part four, whenever that comes around again. And there's different ways you can uh, tell us about those tales. Miss Mel, would you share them, please? Sure. So I've been saying, I say, sure. Like, I think I've told you this, like the character in Red Dead Redemption. Yeah. You've been doing that for the like the last couple episodes, I think. Yeah, he's like, sure. Anyway. <laughs> um, like, yes. So like. you can tweet us at splatterchatter666 minus all the vowels. Just search us and we'll pop right up. You can send us an email at splatterchatter669 at gmail.com. You can leave a comment on the blog at splatter-chatter.com. You can send us an old ask or reblog us on Tumblr at splatterchatter.tumblr.com. You can slide into our DMs at splatterchatter666 on Instagram. These are all, all the ways you can you can pop, pop in to say hey. <laughs> yes, and we very much welcome you to do so. Um, we want to wish you a good conclusion to your summer as well. Hopefully um, it's nice and spooky. Yeah. Uh, so until we return to tell you about um, our jaunt to Salem, uh, we want to remind you to keep up the creep. And for now we will say au revoir, adios. Adios.